Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 1045 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. To catch you up, if you've not been with us or perhaps you have missed a couple weeks where we are in finishing up the book of Acts, at the very beginning, Jesus prepares his disciples to send them out on mission, that he has risen from the grave and he promises to send his Holy Spirit and I want you to go out and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And what we see throughout the book of Acts is that God's word increases and the kingdom of God advances. That all throughout the book, we continually see God's word being preached and people coming to faith in the kingdom of God expanding. It starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, so those who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2, 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to them. Acts 5, 42. And every day in the temple from, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. Acts 6, 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied, and all throughout the book of Acts, we could trace God's word being proclaimed and people coming to faith in the kingdom of God expanding. But another theme we could trace throughout the whole book of Acts is that all along the way there were hardships and there were trials and persecutions and imprisonments and beatings and violence and opposition. But the word of God continued to advance and go forward. And part of the reason this matters for us this morning is that West Hills is here today because the word of God increased and multiplied. That We sit here today because of faithful men and women in the book of Acts. They obeyed God and they preached his gospel. And generations later, we stand here as recipients of that very same gospel, that the work that began in the book of Acts continues today And even today, we will still see hardships and difficulties and tribulations, but also much wonder and joy and amazement as Jesus works. And we'll see this morning is that because the church belongs to Jesus, that the church doesn't belong to us, that because the church belongs to Jesus, it means that we can take heart in the storms, the shipwrecks, and the standstills of life. If you've been turning... In your Bibles to Acts chapter 27, we'll start reading in verse 21. I'll invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 21. This is what the word of God says. It says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further, they took another sounding and again found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out the anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion soldier, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. And day was about to dawn, and Paul urges them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all were encouraged and ate food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough together, they lightened the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray one more time. Our Father, we come to you and we ask for your help that you would make the scriptures clear to us, that our lives would be shaped and changed by the words you have given us. We pray that you would help remove any distractions that might be wandering into our mind, that we would focus on the truths of your word and the goodness of your gospel. We ask for your help this morning to look more like Jesus. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You may be seated. So if you weren't here last week in verse number 20, it says this, and when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest, meaning storm, lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned, meaning they were hopeless. They had no encouragement, no hope at all. And so we ask the question is, what is the storm and how can Paul be so calm? Because Paul is not in some theoretical storm. He is in a literal storm with winds and waves and he finds himself not in control, completely out of control, and it has been dark for 14 days. There hasn't been sun or stars. And Paul, who had been a very experienced sailor, who had traveled to and from proclaiming the gospel, had warned the Romans before they set out. He says, I don't think we should go on this trip. And Paul, being the most experienced of them, probably was not surprised when the storm came about. And yet, 
Paul still went willingly without control over his circumstances, that he was trusting in God to work in some strange way as he is imprisoned and brought on the ship that's going to face severe storms, that the storm was so bad, sun and stars hadn't been seen for days, they're throwing cargo overboard. There's probably a certain level of fear and anxiety that you and I have never experienced because they are so fearful that they aren't eating, only further playing into their fatigue and discomfort and nervousness about it. And then Paul stands up in the middle of the storm and gives his, I told you so, saying, men, you should have listened to me, but take heart. Do not be afraid, for the God I worship says it is going to be okay. And if we were to jump ahead to verse 44, it says, And so it was that all were brought safely to land. We need to remember that Paul's on his way to Rome, where he recognizes he is going to stand trial yet again. And this is probably going to be the last trial that he stands for, and he is going to be killed as a punishment of it. Now, God could have used any paths to get Paul to Rome, but Paul gets sent on this boat ride of a lifetime that almost kills him and 276 other people. And perhaps you're like me and you find yourself asking the question, what do we make of a God who sends us through storms to get us to the place where he's sending? Do we respond with, God is just cruel and mean to allow such storms to happen in our lives. Or we can choose to see that God keeps his promises even in the storms. Is a storm too much for God to handle? No, because God ordains the storms. With the storms come the opportunity to see God work and to see God's character, that through the storms, yes, we get to see God's power over the storms, but in this, we get to see God's compassion and his care. That storms remind us that we are not in control, and that's a really good thing, because really bad things happen when we think we're in control. That perhaps you find yourselves this morning in a storm of uncertainty. You can't see a clear end in sight. Storms remind us that we are not self-sufficient after all, that no one feels cocky or strong when a huge torrential storm is going on and whipping about and we just want to take shelter inside. That storms remind us that we live in a fallen world that Christ entered into the storm of, that we can look around and say, this world, it's got a lot of hard things in it, a lot of storms swirling about a lot of hardships. And yet, at the same time, it would have been very easy for Paul to ask, God, where are you? That when the storms of life swirl around us and we wonder what good could come out of this. But what we will see for Paul is that God had purposed for the ship to end up in a particular place on a particular island where God would show his power to a people who had not yet heard the gospel. That this storm 
causes the gospel to move to a new location and expand, that even in a literal storm, that cannot stop God's gospel from advancing. But the storms of life can cause the gospel to move from theoretical to actual. That none of us need a theoretical gospel, that we think about it, that we imagine it, that we kind of know God is sovereign, that we know the story of Jesus dying for us. But how does the gospel bear down on your life when you can't see through the storm? Is the gospel living and breathing inside of you so that you respond in the same way Paul responded in a boat full of unbelievers? That I imagine if we took a poll of everyone else on that boat, that they would have said, like, nope, zero confidence in God right now. No hope in anything good coming from this. And yet Paul responds with, take heart, men. For the God I worship says it is going to be okay. And when we find ourselves in such storms of life with uncertainty, not knowing what is going to happen, we tend to respond one of two ways. We respond with blah, 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 I know God is sovereign. Or we respond with, I know God is sovereign. And we plead with God to make his path known for us. That the first imagines, yes, I know the truth of God being sovereign, but the second one is clinging desperately to the truth that God is sovereign. And if that is not true, then we are in desperate need of someone greater. And some comfort we can find in this is, this actually isn't the only place we see a stormy event where God says, I have this. In Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, it says this, And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took them with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that is the story of Jesus calming the sea, that in the midst of the sea, the disciples, surrounded by fear because the waves are coming in, that they doubted whether or not Jesus was going to do something. And Jesus, woken up out of his sleep, says, peace, be still. That even in the midst of our storms of life, that Jesus stands there and says, peace, be still. That he asks the question, why are you so afraid? Why do you have such little faith? Have I not proven myself trustworthy before? That the same God who is the maker of the storm is also the ruler of the storm. That he says, I can handle the greatest things swirling around you, but you have to trust me in this. That Psalm 
42, you might be familiar with it, says this, As the deer pants for the flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Who shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival, why are you cast down, O soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God that... The psalmist in this moment is in such despair that he can't see through the storm, that he's struggling so much that it says his food is his tears, meaning he is crying and weeping out to God, saying, God, where are you in this moment? As he is pouring out his soul to the God of heaven. That we too, when we find ourselves in these situations that God actually invites us to plead to him, to ask him to show us what is going on. And as the psalmist is doing this, he's reminding himself that hope is in God. My salvation and my God, that he's not trusting in his own strength to get through these situations and circumstances, that he is trusting in the God above, the God Almighty to bring him through to the end because he is the one who is the controller of all things. And for us, the storms probably do look like unclearness of where we're going, where we're headed, that everything seems like it's being tossed about, that the path forward is obscured, Perhaps it's a job change or a school change, the loss of friendships or suffering through financial hardships, that when we can't see God in the storm, we need to hope in what we can't see because our heart knows it is true that God is sovereign. That's that, I know God is sovereign, dot, 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 Help me believe. Show me your working. Let me know what's going on. That you're pleading out to God. That we should take heart because we belong to God who says, do not be afraid. That even in the circumstances that Paul is facing, he's not afraid because God has time and time again proven himself trustworthy to him. That's why the angel appears and says, Paul, don't worry No one is going to perish. I will carry you through to the end. And even if Paul passed away, Paul's hope is not in the things of this world. His hope is in his relationship with God. Then Acts 27 reveals that our road might be longer and harder than we imagine. That we might find ourselves questioning the will of God and why he's brought us on such perilous journeys, but we can and must trust in God, that his will is perfect and that he calls us to rest in his plan. But not only is it the storms of life that we worry about, Paul also faces shipwrecks. If you continue with me in verse 39, it says this, now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they noticed a bay with a beach 
on which they planned, if possible, to run ship ashore. And so they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, and at the same time loosening the ropes and tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made way for the beach. But striking the reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow was struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf, and the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan, that he ordered those who could not swim to jump overboard first and make way for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought to land safely. And after we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. And the native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. But Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire. And a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt. This man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And they were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited for a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us with hospitality for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. And when he had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases all came and were cured. And they honored us greatly when we were about to sail, and they put aboard whatever it is that we needed. Now God surprises Paul and his crew by not only saving them, but showing up in a place where they experience unusual kindness. That they show up on this island of Malta, and had not God divinely brought them to that place, they would not have experienced God working in mysterious ways. Now, there's two miracles we see happening in this story. The first being Paul, as he gets off the boat and they're coming to land, that there's a fire starter, that he immediately goes to start collecting firewood to care for the other crewmen. He's caring for their physical needs, and as he's going, he picks up some sticks, and a viper fastens to his hands, which means it bit him and stuck in his hand. And everyone watching, like, this guy must have done something really, really bad. The fact that he survived the sea and now is bitten by something that this God justice or karma, as they're thinking, is going to come and kill him now. But Paul, who's experienced so many difficult circumstances of being beaten and thrown in jail, seemingly just looks at his hand and just kind of shakes it a little bit and the snake falls off. Whether it's Paul didn't really know what to think and he's like, if I die... God's will be done, but if I don't die, praise be to God in this. And Paul uses this as an opportunity to then further explain the gospel to them that as they are thinking, this man is a God, little g. If Paul would have said, yep, that's me. I'm one of the gods. Worship me on this island. Surely God would have struck him 
dead. That he uses this as an opportunity to correct their theology, that all of us do theology all of the time. And Paul's using this as a moment to correct their theology, say, hey, you think you know this God justice. Let me tell you about the one true God, Yahweh. The second thing we see is that Paul heals the father of Publius, that he has this fever and dysentery, that as they're being shown hospitality, Paul becomes aware of this gentleman. And he goes to offer him physical healing. And then as he does this, more people come, and they're like, this guy has something different about him. Let us go and bring all of our sick to be healed by him. And it says that all who had diseases came and were cured. That God is caring for their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs. That God provided them with a safe harbor. And Paul was able to provide physical healing and spiritual healing. That Paul takes every opportunity to point the people back towards Jesus and advance the kingdom of God. That Paul, literally in a shipwreck, instead of focusing on his own physical situation, saw it as another opportunity to point people towards a greater hope. That everywhere God sends Paul, his heart is focused. That even amidst terrible circumstances, not only have they survived the storm, but now they're shipwrecked, that they don't have another boat with them, Paul cares more about the spiritual hearts of everyone around him. Shipwrecks for us might look like when we end up in places that we didn't mean to be in. That we look around and we ask, how are we ever going to pick up all the pieces? We could look at our lives and say, I have no idea how I got here. It feels as though we've experienced such loss, such wreckage, so many dead ends, and yet... The God who sends us through the storm settles us on the shore. And it's not until we understand that the shipwrecked places are where God's grace prove they're sufficient for us. That in those hard circumstances like Paul is facing, I imagine the truths going through his minds are God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. That it's much better for us to be shipwrecked by God than to find ourselves self-sufficient. To think like, we've got this. But when everything else seems to be falling apart, there is one person that we can turn to, and that person is Jesus. Psalm 142 reads this way, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know the way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden traps for me. Look to the right and see there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains. No one cares for my soul. But I cry out to you, O Lord, and I say, you are my refuge my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I have been brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I might give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me. 
for you will deal bountifully with me. Sometimes the shipwrecks of life are where God wants us to be so that we can show and believe that we cannot handle it. Maybe some of your stories of how the gospel invaded your life is because you got to the end of the rope, that everything seemed hopeless, that there was no going forward in this life, that your marriage, your relationship, your financial status, your friendships were ruined, and yet the gospel came to you and rescued you from a much greater need, your need of Jesus because of your sin that separates you from God. That it's in the shipwreck moments of our lives that we can still face today that we need to continue to rely on God because the gospel that saved us from our sins is still the gospel that's sufficient for us. That if we can't trust in the gospel when things get hard, we didn't believe the right gospel. And then even in this, we see that in the shipwrecks of our lives, we get surrounded by the security of Christ. That regardless of where we find ourselves, perhaps totally captured by sin and feeling hopeless, like the prodigal son and the gospels, that we turn back to our good father in heaven and he opens his arms and says, come home to me. That we can't out the grace of God. But also that God has a way of showing unusual kindness to us. That in Paul's moment of shipwrecked and those other sailors who are with him, that it says that they were brought to an island where the native people showed them unusual kindness. We don't know if this is because the islands that they were around were full of hostile people and so they should have been fearful for their lives but instead they're met with unusual kindness. And I think God has a way of when we're in our moments of lowness to surround us with people who will show us unusual kindness. That in my own moments of feeling shipwrecked, of faith crisis or the loss of a friend or a really hard season of life where I felt like everything was hopeless, that God brought about people who showed unusual kindness, pointing me back to the truths of Christ. Or when my family moved here and we felt like we were coming out of a shipwrecked season, and we were met with unusual kindness here by you all at West Hills. That God has a way of working through hard situations to bring us to a place of lowness, which causes us to only rely on him, and then at the same time shows us kindness by surrounding us by people who can comfort us, give us hope, and point us back to Jesus. But it's not just in the storms and in the shipwrecks, but it's also in the standstills of life that as Paul continues forward in verse 11 of chapter 28, we read this and it says, and after three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with twin gods as figureheads, putting in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. And from there, we, we made way a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up 
And the second day we came to Pertoli, and there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as Forium of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had not done anything against our people or the customs of our father, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And when they had appointed the day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great number. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying of the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law and Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, and others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying that your fathers through Isaiah the prophet go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, for they will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, with all boldness and without hindrance. And so we find Paul here after a very, very long journey in the storms and shipwrecks and all the trials that he faced in Jerusalem. He finally has made it to Rome and he's placed under house arrest. And after interacting with the Jewish leaders who apparently had not heard that he was coming and this was a big ordeal, Perhaps it shows us that church communication hasn't improved much in the last 2,000 years. That for whatever reason, they don't know what's going on. And so Paul's like, well, hey, I haven't done anything wrong, but let me tell you why it is that I'm here. And so Paul does what Paul faithfully does, and he preaches Jesus. He finds himself in a standstill where there's really like no path forward. He's put under house arrest. They don't even know why he's here, but he's confined to a certain space. And yet he spends his time waiting patiently and preaching passionately. 
that he's decided that even though he's under house arrest, he is going to make the best of the time that he has. And so he calls the Jewish audience together. And it says in verse 23, And on the appointed day they came to his lodging, a great number, and Paul preached from morning until evening that he was not going to waste any time, and he preached all of the scriptures from the prophets to the law, telling them about the Holy Spirit and saying, now is the time to believe that the long-awaited Messiah, Jesus, has come. He paid the price for your sins. Now is the time to believe. And Paul passionately pleads with them that these are his Jewish people, that he wants them to know and believe the good news of Jesus. So he pleads with them. And as he does this, it says that some believe, but then others disagree. It says that Paul lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came in, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So for two years, Paul is kind of in this standstill situation of not really knowing what's happening next. Is he going to get to stand before Caesar? Is he going to be released? Are the Jewish people going to continue to listen to him? And it's in this forced standstill that there's an an opportunity for gospel proclamation that he lives, it says, at his own expense. So he's spending his own money so he can allow people to come in and hear him preach the gospel instead of rotting away in a jail. That it costs him to do this, but he says, it is worth it to spend all of my money so that I can tell more people about Jesus. And he invites them into his home, and it says that he taught Christ without hindrance. And we don't know if this without hindrance is because the Romans didn't view the gospel as a threat or as an emphatic reminder to us that the gospel will continue to spread regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That all throughout the book of Acts that the gospel has continued without hindrance and maybe this is just another example of it. But as Paul finds himself in this standstill of really a season of the same, the mundane. Perhaps that's one of the seasons that we find ourselves in. And perhaps it's the hardest season we find ourselves in where it seems that life makes no difference, that you feel unappreciated or ignored or going through the motions. Perhaps you've shared the gospel over and over and over again with a loved one or a brother or sister that you've pleaded to repent of sin, and it seems to make no difference. That we struggle on the standstill because we're like, it's not on our timetable. Things aren't happening the way we want them to. But even in Paul's standstill moment, we need to remember that God does not go missing in the mundane, that as Paul pretty much just sits in his house and it's the same thing day after day after day of people coming in and Paul preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't lose hope in what God is doing. And if we look at this moment, Paul views it as a God-ordained opportunity that in this moment of stillness, it was another opportunity to share the gospel. And if the book of Acts teaches us one thing, it's that God builds his kingdom 
with the most unlikely of people and in the most unlikely of ways. And he does it through fragile people who faithfully trust him, whom God faithfully holds and secures, that even in the storms and the shipwrecks and the standstills and the snake bites and the persecution and the hardship, Jesus never changes. That what I imagine is going through Paul's mind in all of these different circumstances that really just one after another after another, Paul goes through hard time to hard time to hard time, is the reminder that Jesus died for his sins, giving him a relationship with God, and that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose from the grave, proving his power over sin and over death. And that same Jesus sits now at the right hand of God, showing that the work is done and intercedes on our behalf. That Paul's advice to himself is probably the same advice to those sailors when they're wondering what's going to happen is take heart because Jesus has done the work and Jesus never changed. That the heart of God that sent Jesus to die for you and me is still caring for you and me. We see in the book of Acts that the word of God is not bound by circumstances because God's gospel cannot be hindered. While Paul is in this imprisonment time, he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, describing his situation. I'm bound in chains, I am suffering, but the word of God is not bound. That in all of this, Luke concludes the book of Acts with kind of this unknown he says, hey, Paul lived here for two years at his own expense, welcomed all who came, and he preached the gospel. That this, there's this some uncertainty about what actually happens, and I think that's for a particular reason. That the book of Acts concludes leaving us exactly where the Holy Spirit wants us, ready for the next chapter. That that chapter continues to be written today that the gospel still advances to the ends of the earth and God has called all of his people to live as protagonists in the story of redemption in this next glorious chapter that as Luke ends his narrative with like hey Paul just keeps doing his thing to tell you what happens if you don't know Paul eventually years later is put to death under Nero that he does die but Paul until that moment continued to preach and to write and to share the gospel, that as Luke ends his narrative, that's what the book of Acts is, it's telling a story, there's an implied question at the end that Peter preached the kingdom in Jerusalem, that Philip proclaimed Christ in Samaria, that Paul announced Christ to the Romans. Where is it that you and I will go in this mission of God with his unhindered gospel? How is it that we fulfill Jesus' mission that he lays out for us in Matthew 28 that we recite every single week as our benediction here? 
That reads, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what this looks like for all of us could be very, very different. That for those of you who are parents of children who have not yet believed the gospel, that is your mission field. For those of you who hear statistics about those living in the 1040 window who are living and dying without ever hearing the gospel and that breaks your heart, pray. Ask God if it is that you should go. Or find missionaries who are serving in that place and go and support them financially that if you can't go, at least you can help support someone else go. For those of you who have someone in your life that is unsaved and you haven't shared the gospel with them yet, pray and ask the Spirit for courage and commit to sharing the gospel with them. For those of you who have no idea what it might look like for you to personally take part in this mission of Jesus, pray. Ask the Spirit to guide you to be wise with your time, with your talents, with your treasures, and how they might be used to further the kingdom of God. Paul's using his money here to help further God. He's like, hey, I'll pay for my own place as long as I can invite people and use our homes as a mission field. For those of you who feel unequipped, ask for help. For those of you who feel discouraged because you share the gospel and it seems not to make a difference, take heart and know that God is working. Perhaps for you it looks like asking the question, is what am I most passionate about and how can I use that passion to fuel God's mission? All of us are called to be on this mission with God. And the comfort is, is that the gospel is unhindered. Just as it was for Paul in the storms and in the shipwrecks and the standstills, the gospel for us today is unhindered. Because the same spirit that we see working in the book of Acts is working inside of us. That God is still using people who probably feel unworthy or feel that they don't have the skills or the abilities, that God is using the most unlikely of people, you and me, to proclaim Jesus. In church, my fellow missionaries, take heart. Because this is Jesus' church, and this is Jesus' mission that we are on. And he has promised that his gospel will be unhindered as we take it to the ends of the earth.